Welcome to the Parent Guide to GCSE podcast. Today's guest is the remarkable James Show, who, having nearly become a head teacher, now shares with us how he helps to inspire confidence in every individual. Okay, good morning, James. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Thank um, you very much for joining us. Well, absolute pleasure. It's an honour to be with you. So, um, let's start at the very beginning. Um, I can and I am. How did you arrive on the name? Where did it come from? Uh, uh, do you know, it, yeah, so, so, I mean, the story is, is that I uh, was a teacher and I was about to, I was just been appointed to become a head teacher. And as a result of the job, I had a medical and the medical uncovered a huge brain tumour. Um, two large operations. And the second one leaving me without my sight. Um, and that meant that I couldn't take up the job of being a head teacher. So I found myself with four young children, a wife, with no job. Um, we didn't know we were going to live because we thought we were going to go into a headmaster's house. And um, that was quite a scary time. And I was hugely weakened by not being able to walk or talk properly. I had a little sort of high-pitched wind because of my tracheostomy. Um, and I remember a man uh, who's actually a, a life coach asking me when I was sitting in my white chair, like a, I mean, honestly, like a sort of 95 year old person in the last, last days of their life. And um, he said to me, he said, James, what's your passion? And I think that's such a brilliant question because physically I was ready for the scrap heap. It was game over. I was sort of, I couldn't walk, I couldn't really talk, I couldn't do anything. But as he asked that question, it kind of searched me to the soul and it, I was still there, I was still there. And in the end, after two or three weeks of, of a similar question, I was able to say my passion is to see young people believing in who they are and what they can do. Um, and that's followed on with the name of I can and I am. Um, so that that was the start and I remember him looking at me just straight in the face and just said let's do it and I thought let's do what I'm just sitting here in my dressing gown dribbling and walking <laughs> in and sleep and that was the start you know and it was hard to imagine that the journey was going to begin but it, but it has begun and it's kept going um, yeah so I mean you had your surgery in 2012 that's it, yeah. And it took, what, a year or so to get yourself back on your feet? Or? Well, yeah, it's probably about a year. I mean, back on my feet. But, I mean, I'm too, I've had two small strokes. I've lost 90% of my sight, so nothing in my left eye, about 10% here in my right eye. Um, and I'm still hugely weakened. I mean, I, there's so many things that I can't do, but it was, it was, it was about, I certainly didn't work in any way between 2012 and 2013 academic year and then it was the beginning of 2014 I did my first one or two presentations and at that stage I would go and do a presentation it would take me about two weeks to get over it I was so exhausted um, and so at the Easter term of 2014 I think I did three school visits and gradually as time has gone on, it's a bit like a snowball. I've sort of done more and more. Mm. Um, 
in those six yeah. years, you, you've, you've been very busy by the looks of things. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've had all sorts of extraordinary, very, very diverse groups of people that I've spoken to and uh, places. I've travelled to South Africa, I've travelled to Australia. I've been, oh, wow. I've, you know, I've done all sorts of different stuff. Um, you've been booked to speak in Australian schools and they yeah. go there. Uh, yeah, well, they, uh, they they paid for my school talks, but I I paid for my flight. Oh. But by the time I'd been to ten or twelve schools, I'd covered my flight. Nice. Um, yeah. Wow. So when you do your speeches, uh, to is it generally to parents or is it um, more to? It's, it's to pupils, parents, and I do staff inset to to pair, to to staff as well. Um, yeah. In fact, I, when I was researching you, I, I read with interest about the staff inset because I think with the 30 years of staff inset between us, um, yeah. it is the thing that I think we struggle with most. One, because it's generally the first day of a term. Uh, and two, it's probably the, the, the dullest day of a term. So, yeah. I once had a friend who I was teaching with who discovered during an inset day that he could, in fact, sleep with his eyes open. That's how bad it was. Wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. It's, it's so always nice when you get someone... I mean, like, yeah, like you, 16 years, I, I can remember one staff inset in a positive sense. I mean, the rest were pretty deadly. And you're just <laughs> sitting there with your, with your new kind of, you know, planner or whatever, and you're writing notes and you're... <clears throat> filling in the names that you know of, of your mark book and all that sort of stuff and you're not really listening to a word and then you make the mistake <laughs> of looking at your watch and oh, realizing no. you're 10 minutes into the two hours <laughs> it's about 90 degrees in the shade there is no yeah. air in the room yeah. it's a really it's a tough gig i mean i i remember we did one on space to learning which i loved oh. and i still remember some facts about vilnius because that was what we were learning about we were learning about uh, the, the whole kind of culture and history and things um but i i did a, a training day i hope i did a better job than and mm. many before mm. me. but i actually did a training day for our staff on growth mindset because i've yeah. just been to see carol dweck speak about mindset yeah. yes, yeah. it's been so inspiring yeah. that i needed to get this across to people because yeah. i know that's one of the the pillars that you talk about so yes, what, what I do, are you first interested? Well, do you know, I, yeah, that's really interesting, Emily. I, I read the book, um, you know, when I could see, so pre-2012. And I sort of thought, yeah, it's, you know, it's another book and there are lots of those sort of books around. And I sort of thought, well done, Carol, you found your little niche. And, but I am such a fervent believer in it now because it's worked. And... I always share the story of coming out of hospital and I did the first six weeks of rehab um, at my mum's house. And at that stage, I couldn't actually walk. I literally couldn't walk. I had a Zimmer frame and I would get out of bed and I'd crawl like a sort of baboon, you know, to the top of the stairs and I'd bum shuffle down the stairs. And I remember Lindsay was a physio and Lindsay used to hold my shoulders and say, come on, James, well, you've done three steps on your own today. Well, I was 40. I was going to be ahead. I was a dad of four. And I remember sobbing into my mum's neck like a sort of baby and just saying, mum, I can't walk. 
I, I can't walk. This is, I'm a dad. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man. I'm 40. I can't walk. And then my mum so wisely just saying, it's about small steps. And that is what the growth mindset is, isn't it? It's so much of it is just small steps. And a year or two later, I rode down the River Thames on a fundraiser for I Can and I Am. And I, I sit on tandem bikes and I, I mean, I can't run, but I, I can walk now. And, um, you know, I keep saying, guys, listen, it, I spend my life encountering can'ts. And actually, I've learned to say, don't close the door, but just say, I can't do it yet and try and negotiate. And, and it works. It really works. So I'm a huge fan of growth mindset. I sort of get very passionate as I talk about it because I just believe it to be true. Yeah, and if uh, if people haven't come across Mindset's work before, uh, Carol Dweck's book, um, which I believe is called Mindset. That's right. Yeah. right. It's on my Kindle. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's well worth a read because it genuinely yeah. does make a difference. Yeah, it does. It yeah. does. Um, so uh, you you go in and, and talk to to students in schools. What's the, what's the key message that you're trying to get across? What's your yeah, good question. I, I, I think my presentations have got sort of three parts. Um, and it seems to be slightly sort of different as to what people, you know, younger children, I think, get more excited about my story of, it's a bit of a had it all, lost it all overnight. It's a kind of, you know, one moment life couldn't have been better than the next moment life couldn't be worse. Um, and loss and and then I talk about how I try to get through, or I, you know, and even eight years on, I've still tried to use my mantra of looking up, looking forward, and looking out, UFO. So that's the first part of my story. Then I talk about the challenges of being a young person in today's world. And those two um, pressures, I think, are academic pressure. There's more academic pressure than there was when I was in school in the 80s. Um, and added to that, this the world of social media, which has really changed the way that young people relate. And those sort of time-honoured traits of sitting with a mate and hugging and being there when someone's upset. And social media is, is alienating young people much more. Um, and then I talk about what's the effect, and the effect is that people are now dropping their heads with a sense of, I can't, anxiety, fear. And that's where sort of depression and at worst suicide are creeping in. And then I say, guys, I really believe that we can get through this. I don't believe it needs to be as doomful as you might be feeling. And that's where my four pillars come in. And I don't know if you've seen my my TEDx talk, but I, uh, I talk, I talk about the four pillars and I talk about how we inflate our balloons of self-belief because if we've got air in our balloon, we're resilient. We bounce back. If we've got nothing there, we don't bounce back and hit the ground. It hurts us. It wounds our psyche, our sense of self. And I talk about how young people, old people, all of us need to feel like we belong in our families, our youth clubs, our sports teams, whatever it is, um, our school year group, that the world today is diverse and schools need to celebrate that diversity. And 
allow individuals to be themselves. Um, cool, uncool, sporty, not sporty. That the days of homogenizing are long gone. Um, the world is diverse. So belonging first, growth mindset second. Third pillar is the importance of people understanding that they're all intelligent. Howard Gardner's multiple intelligence theory that sometimes I feel school is quite kind of linear. And if you're logical or you're linguistic, it's happy days, you cruise for exams. But actually a lot of other kids are creatively intelligent or good with people. Or, and actually it's not to say when you get to 17, 18, bang, I'm a loser, game over. No. And I think the school needs to help young people realize where they're intelligent. And then the fourth thing is encouraging people to dream a dream. Um, and dreaming dreams is often beset by somebody having had a setback, a failure. Um, and I'm a real believer that setbacks are learning opportunities for us all. And that when we have a setback, it's a springboard. Um, and I always say, let a setback refine you and not define you. Um, it refines you and you move forward and you then dream a dream and you say, I would love to be a policeman. I'd love to be a soldier. I'd love to dive to the bottom of the ocean. And I'm all about, don't let exams get in your way. But actually dream dreams. And if you have a dream, you will be motivated with a sense of purpose and your balloon will inflate. Um, so that's really my message. Yeah, we've, uh, we were talking the other day about, um, I'd seen, I think it's Jen Sincero's book, and um, she talks about new level, new devil. Like, <laughs> that's how I know I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and I'm doing something big and scary and audacious because something yeah. happens, there's a setback. And that's how I know I'm going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. And using those to move forward. Is, I, I love the, the springboard analogy. Absolutely. Yeah. So with schools then, um, I mean, it's all very well saying we'd love schools to be encouraging kids to be more artistic, more creative, to, to not homogenize them. How much of that, though, is within a school's control nowadays? And how much of that is down to, you know, Ofsted and government interference and yeah. progress aid yeah. and yeah. all of the joys of that because i feel yeah. like uh, uh, not having been a member of slt senior leadership team for those of you not stuck in schools and um, that's it's something that i think frustrates a lot of teachers mm. i've not i've not been in a position where i had enough power to have done anything about it do schools have that power still do you think well good question um I, I, a bit like growth mindset, I think you start with small steps. And I think that, I think a, my, my real passion is to see teachers and staff them becoming places of pastoral proactivity, where a teacher realizes that their young people that they're teaching aren't just little academic robots, but they're human beings with potential. You know, that actually sitting in front of them, there might be a future world leader or sitting in front of them, there might be a, I don't know, somebody who's going to lead the scout movement or something like that. And actually, we want to develop them as human beings. We want to listen to what they say, observe them, notice, 
and actually let us. I love the story of, um, I, I don't know what she was called, but she was a, she was she became a famous world class dancer. At age nine, at school, she was late. She fiddled away. She was uncommitted. She was, she was your sort of, oh my word, where do we go with this girl? And her parents came to a parent teacher meeting and spoke to her teacher, full of fear on what they're going to say about my daughter this time. And her teacher said, don't worry, your daughter is a dancer. And this lady went on to become a world class. She worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber. She made millions. She saw her as a human being. And, and that's what I think that, you know, you know, it, it's hard for teachers. You've got loads of kids. You've got lots of academic kind of stricture and structure to kind of cope with. But at the same time, if we engender, you know, my eldest sister works with young people and she's often saying, no, that's her, that's her. And I just love that line is that you're observing and you're noticing the kind of person that they are. And, you know, <clears throat> it is the point that they're human beings. They're not just little robots. Um, it's, it's such an important thing to, mm. to recognize and yeah. So is that your main message when you do uh, the parental presentations? Is that your main message to parents to to identify what their child is good at and just believe that they can? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, is, it is the balloon. Um, <clears throat> I have a balloon. I've got to see my desk now. My balloon. My can and I am balloon. <laughs> I've, I've just got one in every pocket. There it is. I can. <laughs> and um, I'm. Um, yeah, so with parents, I, 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 I encourage them to realise that their sort of academic prowess does not necessarily sum them up. Um, and that if they're not very academic, they can get to the end of their school journey and they should still have air in their balloon and they should still have their head held high with, wow, what a big wide world. And it's a world full of hope. Um, as opposed to a world full of, oh, I don't know where I fit in, I don't know who I am. And, that you know my, my big thing is that we should be confident in our identity not in our achievements which is to say that we're confident in who we are not in what we've got attached to our name and we've got great results or we've got you know i was head boy i was head girl no i think it's actually who we are we know that we're a kind person we know we're a good person we know that we're trustworthy all those lovely important crucial qualities um so my big thing to parents is you know see the bigger picture see the wider picture i'm, I'm often i get quite sort of on my hobby horse when i stand up and i say you know i too many parents will sit having supper and will be talking about our son or daughter's physics or french or how are they doing that and they, they, they've done that prep and they passed that test and I'm, you know and you think, no, it's a bigger, wider world. You know, where are they intelligent? What do you think their purpose is? Um, I think those are far more important uh, discussions to be having about our children. So yeah. I, I like the idea about blowing up with a balloon. Do you think, because um, we, we say as part of our programme, 50% of learning generally occurs at home. Is 50% of the balloon blowing done at home as well, or do you think it's more than that? I think, um, 
I, I think home should be places with an ambiance of affirmation. Um, and often parents, um, and I, you know, I know I can fall into this. It's so easy, isn't it? Whereas you see your children sort of flipping up and fouling and making a mess of things and being rude or being lazy or whatever. And you just immediately jump on it like a hawk. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I think that we should try and take sometimes a bigger picture. And there's a wonderful, um, a wonderful quote from an old Franciscan monk that I used to have stuck to my desk when I was a housemaster. And it was, notice everything, correct occasionally, and cherish the brethren. Which, you know, if you're, if you're a mum or a dad, it's just love them to bits. It's love them to bits. We notice. And actually, when they're teenagers, we don't always correct. That, that aggravates, it exacerbates, it irritates. And ultimately, it corrodes relationship. Um, but I think if we can try and do that, notice. Because, you know, when it comes to growth mindsets, you know, one of the things that we can really help our kids with, if they're taking small steps, that we notice the small step that they'd be doing to empty the dishwasher more efficiently or you know, water the plants or whatever it is, we notice and, and it's that little cheap, so well done, I saw you. And I'm a great believer in authenticity of praise. I'm not empty, are you great? But actually you say, I saw you do that. I noticed you do that. I was watching, I heard. I think that adds weight to the, 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 the sort of the, the quality of, of um, input, if that makes sense. Well, we're both sitting here nodding wildly at everything you're saying because uh, we have twins. Uh, they're 18 years old. Uh, one has very much a glass half full uh, attitude and one has, uh, my glass hasn't even been got out, let alone somebody consider putting anything in it. Mm. They've had the same upbringing though. Yeah. Um, Isn't it amazing? Yeah, it is. How do we, yeah, what, what have we been doing wrong, if that's the right way of putting it? <laughs> To, to uh, or how should we correct? Yeah, I, that, that's often a um, a thing that I say to parents is that we can so often blame ourselves, um, but actually you get you, you you get the child you're you're given, don't you? And some are very easy and just seem to coast through. Some aren't, and it's harder work. But I, at the same time, a little bit like labour, I dare say, you know that. Some are just harder work to get through the system, and, <laughs> <laughs> and that might be the system of childbirth, but it might be the system of the first, you know, stint of their lives. And you know, my mum will look back and she'll say, "Oh, but you were a nightmare at that stage. Oh, but you were so difficult at that stage." But actually, my dad used to always have a line of, "You know, eighteen is too young to ever make a judgment about a person." It's when they're sort of 35, 40 that you can say, oh, okay, I can now see the input. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's just not an immediate thing. You know, a product you can add sugar or butter or flour to, and it's like, oh, that's changed it. But no, it's sometimes with a human being, it, it takes longer. It's a longer journey. Um, and so I think, you know, parenting, we're all in it for the long haul, aren't we? It's just, it's just not a kind of click your fingers and it's done. And I think that that is 
one of the challenges in today's world. You know, the world of social media and technology, it's all just instant gratification, click your fingers, done. And that's where things like growth mindsets and taking time and emergence of a human being is very different to, you know, solving a problem on a, on a spreadsheet or, or clicking on and, and downloading your new album of favourite songs. You know, it's just so different, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky. It's it's very it's very addictive. The whole social media thing is just you know you you watch them. Their phone lights up and they have to immediately go. Yeah. For it. And I, I am almost as bad to be. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and it's it can be so destructive because mm. there are so many people out there who are are just really negative and nasty. And mm. we'll put those kind of negative images, negative messages out there just, I don't know, for the sake of making other people feel bad, which is, is mm. not cool. And, mm. and mm. if you don't have that inflated balloon, that self-belief, then it's too easy to take that stuff straight on board and just go, yeah. okay, yeah. that must be true then. That must be however. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a tricky thing to get across to them. Yeah, I mean, a, a yeah. lot of kids with with Instagram, particularly girls, looking at all of the Instagram uh, perfection in inverted commas. Yeah. Because oh, dreadful! Filters. Dreadful! Yeah, dreadful. Yeah. Uh, I've got a thing. Uh, uh, having done some research on the work and the talks that you do, um, you talk a lot about setbacks and springboards, which I think you've already mm -hmm. mentioned. But how, um, if you had a parent listening to this and they're holding a uh, a bad set of mock results that the child may have just about brought home, uh, although slightly scared to bring them home. How do you, what's the advice to those parents where there has been a clear setback, parents feeling it and the students feeling it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing I'd say to parents, I'd just say they are more than academic robots, as I've said, you know, that we shouldn't be defining them simply by their academic results. And um, but the second thing is, you know, if they're, if they're really bad results and they've been lazy, um, I'm, I'm a great believer that with teenagers and adolescents having been a housemaster for, for 10 years, the importance of timing is absolutely essential. Time the conversations because we can have too many and back to that sense of you're nagging, you're, you're irritating and Frankly, every word that you say just falls off them. They don't hear a word. But actually, spot that time, recognise that time, and then it's a case of, I would probably say, asking questions as opposed to instructing and informing. So, so, so how did those exams, how do you feel they went? Where, where do you think you can make progress? What, what as opposed to, oh, what shocking results, this is, you know, you're wasting my time, you're wasting... And that, that it's just, it, it will just achieve nothing. And I, so I think my, 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 probably my three bits of advice is don't, don't sum them up by their results. They are more than their results. The second thing is recognize your time. And the third is approach it with a series of questions. And um, I'm a great believer that we should let them fall and not be constantly trying to hold them up because when they fall they feel the pain 
rather than us taking the pain and inoculating them all the time. Let them fall, let them, I don't like the word fail, but that's when they'll feel the pain and that's when they'll learn. Um, and so if they get some shocking results at GCSE, yeah, you know, and then afterwards you reflect on them and you refine and say, okay, what, 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 do, what, what can you learn from that? I remember my, my GCSEs, I did appallingly in. And that was because I didn't work at all. And I, I look back on it and I think I had to retake one or two and there was a real sense of shame, but I've learned and I, I will never not work again. You know, I, I am now a hard worker. Um, but you can go through and you can just say, oh no, I can't be bothered. It's, you know, but actually when you've hit the ground and it's hurt, you've learned the lesson. Um, uh, does that roughly answer your question? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think it's often more about us as parents than it is about the children when we're we're feeling the need to nag because you're yeah. watching them and you know they're headed for a fall. Yeah, yeah. Parental instinct kicks in. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't climb so high. Don't you know? Don't run so fast. All of the yeah. things that we've been telling them since they were little because we're trying to protect them. But actually, in the longer term, yeah. it's probably more important that they have yeah. the, the... I had a really interesting the... conversation. I had a really interesting conversation with a lady who was the pastoral lead at Bath Further Education College, where after GCSE, so it starts when, with year 12, but it's basically <coughs> pulling in a lot of those type of children that have failed all their exams or been excluded from school. So quite a tricky cohort of, of kids. And she said to me, the biggest problem is when parents don't let their children fall and fail. We live in a failure avoidant world, don't we, where we just want, want, want um, everything to kind of go tickety-boo and, and on they go. And, but actually, we mustn't forget that when things go wrong, we learn. and. And, and, and they must do the learning. Um, and sometimes we've just got to, we've got to journey with them. Um, yeah, I had the, uh, had the poster in my classroom that said F-A-I-L, first attempt in learning. And yeah. It, yeah. It's a useful message because they, yeah. they do, they, they are all very mm. failure avoidant. I think we all are. But, yeah. you know, the, the bigger the risks you take, the further you go. And yeah. you've got to not be afraid to try stuff. It's often those guys, isn't it? You you read the, the books about um, about people that have gone a long way, and and often they've you know their, their educational journey has been fraught with problems, but they've developed somehow that resilience, that ability to bounce back, and just think there must be another way. And it's really interesting, you know, books about dyslexia as well, and the benefits of having dyslexia because you learn that there is always another way. Um, and that is what the world requires now and this creativity and entrepreneurialism and not to you see a roadblock because uh, now I can't go any further. You, you can work your way around it or over it or under it or whatever. Um, and I think that's what, you know, we are living, aren't we, in very, very different times and the skills that, young people need to learn are so different to what we have to learn. 
Yeah, it's funny you should say all that because we literally just interviewed Joseph Valente, who won The Apprentice in 2015. But he, yeah. so Paul and I met, uh, we started teacher training at the same school on the same day. And that was six months after he'd been expelled from that same school. Yeah, yeah. And has now, at uh, 15, and has now gone on to be Lord Sugar's business partner. You know, he's, yeah, yeah. exactly as you've said, he fell down. And he yeah, picked yeah. himself back up and his resilience is astonishing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was what did it for him. That's what made the difference. If he'd had a, a more normal, traditional school journey, yeah, yeah. he wouldn't be yeah. where he is today. Yeah. And one of the stories I, I quite liked from him was that he hated learning. He hated everything about school. He was told what to do and which class to go to because he couldn't do physics. So he'd go and do art, which he hated. Um, the second he was actually allowed to learn what he wanted to learn, he, he hasn't stopped. He still reads, he listens to audiobooks. He's always trying to you know, get better at everything. And you know, he got yeah. to the bottom, he failed it. And he's now you know, spending yeah. every moment trying to make himself better. Well, I'm listening to um, a book, <coughs> you'll like it, Emily. It's, it's called Step by Step. Um, and it's written by, um, I don't know if you've come across him, a chap called Simon Reeve, who does those travel programs um so he's just done a travel journey from north america from sort of alaska all the way down on a train and buses and stuff to cape horn at the bottom of south america i mean this guy at school was brought up in acton in west london and you know failed every exam was robbing houses was i mean a real badass couldn't get worse um and he got a job, I think, doing this sort of paper round or something like that. And with the money that he earned, I think he left London for the first time, aged about 18. He had never been anywhere else, um, living on his estate in Acton. He got a train up to Edinburgh, went up to Glencoe, and he climbed a mountain. And when he was climbing the mountain, he was, it was step by step. And he was told it's dark, it's wet, it's cold, you're not dressed. But he got to the top and then he basically went back to London. He got a job doing work in a postal room, you know, letters. I mean, absolute boss of the pile. But a boss saw him, a boss saw him, a boss saw him. Before he knew it, he was, you know, much higher in the postal room. And then he moved to a newspaper, same thing. And then he becomes a travel writer. And then he becomes a travel presenter. And it all starts with that sense of step by step and that's what he proved to himself on the mountain as he just walked up step by step he got to the top um and i just think again amazing story how do we develop what really interests me how do we develop those mindsets in people um and i think that it's those kinds of things that i think education should be asking itself now is how can we develop people for the world, the uncertain, very different world that they're going into than the world that we went into, which was frankly very linear, wasn't it? It was, you got a job and that was the job you did for the rest of your life. And it's, now it's not like that. Yeah. So different. Well, that's, uh, I think, a perfect place to, to say thank you very, very much for your time. Yeah. So many inspiring messages in there. Uh, um, yeah. And so much to think about, certainly from the parents' point of view that would be listening to yeah. this. So thank you. Yeah, oh, pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you.